Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for all the good that you're doing in our lives. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move. Help me, Lord. I just pray that this would encourage and strengthen and clarify who you are, what your will for us is, and people would be encouraged. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here who's not right, they don't know you, or they've walked away, that this would be a day of renewal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I've been doing a series on the creed, but I've been distracted, so sorry. I'm, I'm going off, off the uh, series, and maybe next week I'll get back on track, but um, something happened in preparation for the seminar, and see, we didn't do that. We didn't do the uh, announcement for the seminar, but now I'm going to do it. There's a lot of new faces. For those of you who are new, we do Saturday. This church is actually an intensive discipleship ministry. It's not a Sunday show, obviously. That's why we mess around with the tech and keep it loose. We're not. This is not a Sunday performance. This is just when the people that are in the intensive discipleship thing come together. And if anybody else is encouraged by it, you're welcome to join us too. But on Saturday, we do two hours of teaching. And uh, in one of the classes, we're going through constructing your worldview, which most of us just picked up our worldview kind of willy-nilly by the people around us. If, you were, if you're from a Catholic home, you're a Catholic. But if, you, if that home happened to be Buddhist, you'd be Buddhist. And uh, if it were Baptist, you'd be Baptist or Pentecostal. Or maybe your household would be atheist. Um, and then you be then you're really rebellious and you go off to college and you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become an independent thinker. And then you find out everybody in college thinks this way, and so you quick join that team, but but uh, you're not really, you know, usually in college, you're not as radical and independent as you think you are. You haven't really scrutinized and shaped your own worldview, you're just kind of adopting what's around you. And so we're going through this kind of rigorous scrutiny of have you thought this stuff through? Are you just stumbling through life cause, trying not to cause trouble? Because you're not going to find answers that way. So it's, you know, constructing your worldview. And uh, a lot of subjects there. Not going to get into them. We'll never get out of here. But last, well, yesterday we talked about one of the proofs that you're getting Christianity right, biblically speaking, one of the proofs that you're getting Christianity right and uh, this wasn't true in the household I grew up in, but this is biblically true. You should have a touch of God on your life. And that validates that you're getting it right. You should have answers to prayer. The Bible says that if you're, if you're really doing it the way Jesus laid it out, you'll have the abundant life. And uh, now there's nobody who, who's constructed their worldview and says, you know what? I'm just wrong. I'm just going to run with that. I'm just deceived. Uh, my, my parents didn't know what they were talking about, but I'm just going to take that ball and probably pass on to my kids too. Uh, we, we don't think about it. But um, one of the things that the Bible says, if, you, if you're doing this Christianity thing right, this Jesus thing right, you're going to have peace. You're going to have joy. You're going to have your prayers answered. There's going to be, and, and, in 1 uh, Corinthians, a lot of people are saying, you know, Paul, I don't know if Paul's really all that. You know, there's this much better looking guy uh, who comes and he's funnier and he's more clever and he's... Paul called them super apostles. And Paul said, okay, I'm going to come back and visit you guys. And when I do, 
I want to see the people that are opposing me. I want to see their power. I want to basically what he's saying is, do they have the type of God on their life? So that was kind of what we were focusing on. What does that look like? And we look, you know, we're looking through history and people that really had that touch of God on their life. And then the challenge is, do you have that touch of God on your life? Do you have miraculous? No, it doesn't happen every day, even every week. Sometimes you'll even have a stretch of months where nothing jaw-dropping happens. But if you've been walking with the Lord for a year, two years, five years, you should be able to talk all day about the things that God has done and taught you and showed you and the answers to prayer and the knots in your own head that you have untied. There's just this aspect of power and the reality of God in your life. And if you don't have that, don't say, I don't like this guy. I'm never coming back here again. Go look in the word and see if it's in there. All the way back in the Old Testament, Elijah called down fire from heaven when he was competing with another religious system. And he said, answer God, answer me, that this people may know that you alone are God. And then I'm your servant. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And the apostles said, we had the signs um, of true servants of God. And they were doing amazing things. Now, it doesn't have to be amazing. You don't have to raise people from the dead every other day. But I mean, you should have, hey, I needed guidance. I needed a job. I, weird coincidences, checks in the mail. And the more you, seriously, the more you walk with God, uh, you realize that prayer is a way that you're connecting with God and he's doing supernatural things in your life. So, no, I won't do that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But so, okay, we can just do this because nobody will know who says it. For those of you in here who know what I'm talking about, even if you're not very good at it, but you have seen a God who created the universe do something in your life that was too weird to be coincidence, give me an amen. Amen. Okay, so it's normal because we got people that are really into the science. We got people in this room that are just absolute miraculous testimonies of life. That should be a regular part of a healthy Christian life. Now you go through dry periods and God's training you. And, you know, so I'm not saying we, again, one of the things I said on Saturday, he's not a dog and pony show. Hey, God, give me this. Hey, God, give me that. Hey, God, I need some peace. Hit me with it. Right. It's like, no, it's, but. You know, he's watching over you, you know, he's working with you. You don't get the college shots, but when you really need something, he's there for you and he'll come through and he's giving you a lot of promises and he wants you to learn how to cash in on those promises. There's a supernatural dimension to our Christian life if we're really doing it properly. And again, everybody thinks they're right. There's nobody who's like, I've got a, I've got a screwy worldview, I'm just going to run with it. But one of, the, one of the proofs that you're getting it right is that... Um, you have this, these cool things. So this sermon, this distraction, is about the glory of God. And uh, some of you are in Greek, the Greek club, and you can read the one on the right there. That's doxa. We get the word doxology uh, from that. But that's glory in the Greek, and then kavod in the Hebrew, which is something like heaviness, we even do that. Actually, hippies, you should do that. When something was really cool back in the 70s, we'd be like, heavy, it's heavy, right? It's the thing that makes you go, whoa, about somebody else. So uh, in the Old Testament, like, it could be a man's strength. It could be his wealth. It could be his intellect. Uh, or a woman's, of course. You know, you need to be sexist there. I mean, just something. Or if a person just incredibly attractive, like, whoa, that person's really attractive. Right? So it's the thing that makes you go, whoa. 
And uh, something that came up in the homework assignment on Saturday is what distracted me, made me stop, made me redirect my sermon because I couldn't really think about anything else except this. So let's go back to that whole, you have the touch of God in your life thing. If you have the touch of God in your life, it is because you're learning how to pray properly. Everybody prays. Ah, God save me, right? Jesus, take the wheel, right? That's, take it from my hand, right? Everybody <laughs> prays. But there's some people that pray and they get it done. And they, I mean, like, this guy prays, this girl prays, and things move. Things change. Doors open. It's a skill set. And the New Testament says this about people who pray. Pray properly. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is a confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we ask from him. So the people who know how to pray well understand what the will of God is. What does that mean? It means you understand the kind of things God likes to do and wants to do. And if you haven't studied your Bible, then you'll have no clue. But there's people that have studied God, studied the word, and so they can pray for things, and, and they know that God wants to answer that sort of prayer, and he will answer that sort of prayer. But there are other things that need to line up besides just praying a prayer that is technically God's will. Like, if I want someone to, be, to, to come into a relationship with Christ, that's about as perfect a prayer in the center of the will of God as you can find. Or I have a, someone that I want to get off of drugs or whatever, or I'm a man and I want to provide for my family, and I don't have a job. These are all very good God's will type things to pray for. But uh, so connect the dots. We're talking about the touch of God in your life. How that's going to happen is because you know how to pray well. This verse says that if we pray anything according to the, the will of God, um, it's going to happen. But we, uh, as I was getting ready for this, I was, this is just an incredible, one of the greatest men of God probably in history, he wrote more devotional works, and he he kind of uh, lays out for us the mechanics and the inner workings of the ways of God better than just about anybody. Perfect? No. He doesn't get his books added on the scripture, but really brilliant. Saw some great things happen. And he wrote a couple books on prayer that everybody who's a serious disciple ought to read. One of them is called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And then the other one's called the Ministry of Intercession. And he was around 1828 to 1917. This is Andrew Murray. In the back of his book, so, so I'm getting ready for my seminar, and I'm preparing, and I'm thinking about people who saw God move on planet Earth. And I was thinking about prayer, and I'm thinking, well, he was about as, he has it laid out about as well as anybody. And um, I was taking a little break, and I was laying down on my couch, and I just felt like I should look at the, I, hadn't, I haven't looked at that with Christ in the School of Prayer in a long time. Look at the very last chapter in the book, and it's an appendix. I think there's 32 chapters. And for some reason, I felt like I should look at the last one. And what he did is Andrew Murray said, if you want to see everything that I'm talking about, a visual aid for all these principles of prayer, how to get it done, he said, there's no better living example on planet Earth than this guy. Who's that? George Mueller. So, so your homework was read the appendix in Andrew Murray's With Christ in the School of Prayer as he summarizes the life of George Mueller, who when he died, 
dignitaries and royalty, and they shut down Bristol, England, and tens of thousands of people lined the streets, including thousands of orphans that he raised. This, was, this man was a wonder-working, miracle-working phenomenon in his time. And he said, I lived my life for the express purpose that anybody who in this room is, a, is just a, a, a normal, common human being. Okay. Are you an exceptional Christian? Or are you an average Christian? Are you, are you, uh, right. If you're an average person, he said, I live my life this way. So average people would see what was possible if you learned how to engage God the way that is possible for you, according to scripture. He said, I live my life this way. He led tens of thousands of people to Christ. He literally raised 10,000 orphans and he had these orphan homes. He never asked for a dime. He would, he would pray for everything he needed, and it would come miraculously at just the right time. He could change the weather by his prayers, and people were like, that's a coincidence. That was a coincidence. Well, that happened yesterday. Well, that was a coincidence. Well, it happened three times. Well, those were all coincidences. Any million dollars sent to him so that he could build this orphanage. Well, yeah, that was probably, you know, at some point, you're like, no, the dude knows God, and he's on to something. And so when, when Andrew Murray wrote his book, he said, study this guy's life it, because he set his life up as an example, how to engage our creator. And there's one thing in that appendix that pierced me to the heart. And it was this. He said, when you pray, because a lot of you guys are learning how to pray and some of you guys are seeing answers to prayer. He said, when you pray, you have to make sure that it's always for the glory of God. And he said, you can pray a prayer that according to scripture is the will of God. But if you're not praying it for the glory of God, God won't do it. I could say, um, God, I need a good career because I need to take care of my family. So uh, help me get into this academic program. But really what you're doing is, God, I fear my parents and I need their approval. And my dad's going to think I'm really great and I'm worthy of his love if I get into this program. So get God's like, I'm not playing that game. God, I need this promotion. Um, please give me this promotion. Why? Be because I, I need more money. Why? Because then I'll have more stuff. <laughs> then I can feel secure. With all that money in the bank and the stuff. I'm not interested in that. There's nothing to do with my will for you. God, give me a spouse. I'm really lonely. Yeah, I created you to want to be with a spouse and wired you for that. But um, you're actually thinking that that's going to bring some kind of ultimate happiness in your life. And that spouse in your mind is an idol. I'm not doing it. You know, your motives are pure. The request is right, but the motive is wrong. And this is where it gets really weird. God, I pray that you would save my roommate. <clears throat> do you really want your roommate saved? Or do you want to validate to other people that you're a minister of the gospel? Would you be happy for someone else to do it? Or do you got to do it? God, give me this ministry position. Do you just need to validate yourself by getting up in front of people? <coughs> Are you doing this to glorify me? And what he said was, we could pray right prayers and we're not going to get ever get an answer from God. 
unless the motive is right. And he said, the motive always has to be to glorify God. But that's kind of ambiguous, isn't it? Well, what in the world does that mean? The glory of God. What a strange idea. A lot of worshiping. And uh, I guess there's two points that I want to emphasize here this morning. Glory means God is great. But it also means God is good. Because if God is just great, and he's not good, who cares? And actually, me personally, I'm more glad that God is good than I am that he is great. Because if he were great, and he had all the power, and he could do whatever he wanted, but he wasn't as good as he is, well, he wouldn't be as glorious as he is, and it wouldn't help me any. So I'll get there in a minute. But I want to talk about his glory. You need to pray. And when you pray, you say, God, answer this so that your glory, your greatness, but especially your goodness, is manifested through my life and through this answer to prayer. God, give me a godly family. Give me a godly marriage. Give me resources. Maximize the unique gifts you've given me. So you look great, but you especially look good because you are so good. And let every prayer that I pray answer it so that my life can reflect to the world. And again, it's almost like sometimes I, to know that God is great is almost counterproductive if you don't know that he's good. So I want to to look at some, I don't even know if this makes sense yet, but hopefully by the end of this, we'll talk about his greatness first. I don't want to blast through his greatness so we can get to his goodness. Because it wasn't his greatness that changed my life. The fact that he's creator and he's got all the power and he's the judge. It's like, yeah, and he's probably going to crush me like a bug because I'm a dirtbag and I'm a bad person. And, you know, why would he want me? And I haven't done much. And it was, it was really coming to an understanding that he's good that changed everything for me. So let's see here. This word glory, kavod in the Hebrew, it's all through the Psalms. The heavens are telling of the kavod, the glory. And this is talking of his greatness. So you look up in the sky. Whoa, look at that moon and that sun and those stars and the clouds and the whole machine of it all. And he made it. And he made us. Wow, he's powerful. He's great. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. You look up at the heavens, you say, something doesn't come from nothing. There's a creator who made all this. Wow. That's his greatness. That's his power. His control. That's even his righteousness, that he has a right to expect from us certain behaviors and things. That's his greatness. But this, this, I was just thinking of Psalm 20. This is a real classic psalm, just celebrating. It's 19. It's 19. And I memorized it 30 years ago, and I don't know why I was saying 20. But we don't care, because we're just a bunch of Christians hanging out and uh, having fun. That's really weird that I did that. I think I did that. Well, I did that somewhere else, too, when I was done. I was like, did I just say the wrong? Anyway, me and numbers were just not friends, but... I'll say this too. I told someone the other day, I said, God, uh, the devil's not afraid of the numbers. He's only afraid of the words. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Psalm 19, heavens are telling the glory of God, their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That's glory. And 
the creation speaks that to people, but the secret that everybody doesn't know is that he's good. What the devil does is he goes around and he tells people, yeah, he's great, but he's kind of a jerk. And he's kind of sick of you. And he's kind of looking forward to throwing you into hell because he doesn't really like you very much. And so there's other songs that talk, but it is good to meditate on his greatness because once you know his, he's, he's good, then you know who's on your side. And so right now there's a big kind of, a, I don't know what's that, plagiarism when, you, when you, somebody takes credit for someone else's work. Uh, creation is God's work. And now a lot of people in society are saying he didn't do it. They'd rather believe that, I don't know, aliens brought life here or something just created nothing instead of the obvious. No, he did it. So there's, there's kind of a big attempt to co-opt God's glory from creation. But Psalm 8 also, a similar psalm talking about the greatness of God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your enemies to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And that's like, what is, why are you interested in us? It's funny because back when these were written, they had no clue. No clue. They looked up at the sun and like, wow, that's awesome. And the moon, wow, that's awesome. And they looked at the stars and like, even those little tiny things, those are pretty cool too. That little silvery dust up there, that's pretty neat, but I mean, it's not as cool as the sun. It's not as cool as the moon. But, you know, the God could sprinkle silver dust up, you know, above the firmament. That's pretty nifty. And then uh, once we discovered telescopes and astronomy and all this kind of, I mean, I, you know, yeah, the, the ancient Jews weren't into astronomy for, you know, as far as I'm aware. But, uh, you want to talk about the greatness of God? Are you, any of you aware of what that picture is? No? You see that in that sweet little sunbeam there? Can you see a little tiny white speck yeah. in there? This little yeah. tiny white speck? Yeah. yeah. It's almost bluish. So what this is, it's a photograph of Earth taken February 14th, 1990 by Voyager 1 at 3.7 billion miles from the sun. And all those other dots back there, those are things that are about a gazillion times more substantially massive than the Earth. But that little dot there is the Earth is pretty close, just perspectively. So it looks, I mean, we can see it as the Voyager, at right now, I think it's like almost 15 billion miles out. And there's no possible way. I mean, the Earth is, the Earth is lost like you couldn't find an atom this morning. Hey, go find that last atom that fell off your body while you were getting ready. <laughs> I think it fell off on the highway on the way here. Can you go find that atom? That's like the size of the Earth. And so one fun thing to think about the, the greatness of God. Do we believe God created? I believe God created. Do you believe God created? If you do, say amen. 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 What did he create? Everything. Everything that's created. Said who made God? He's not a creation. So that, that's a nonsensical question. 
He's outside of creation. And he said, hey, I'm an infinite being and I'm going to make some stuff. So who made the God stuff? He's not created stuff. He's infinite. He has no parameters. And so we're part of creation. So that's all we think of as parameters and time and space and all that. He's not a part of it, but he made it. But you think about his greatness. And uh, this is kind of fun to do. Down at the bottom there, that's Earth, that little tiny marble there that you can barely see. And then we get up some of the bigger planets up to Jupiter. And then uh, and then that little tiny one there, uh, the, the one in the corner, that's Jupiter. And then we got the sun is the, is the one that looks like fire. And then we start to get into the heavenly bodies. And so this one could swallow up the sun and all the other planets. But God made them. Where are we? Oh, we're back here on this little tiny. And where are you? I remember when I was in middle school, I used to get depressed going to astronomy class. And, you know, people are like, you know, you're not really seeing that star. You're only seeing the light from that star 50 bonzillion years ago <laughs> before it got to Earth. It's like, well, how long do I, I don't live 50 bonzillion years? I'm like, the Bible says, I'm like, and I'm gone. So I get all depressed. God made all this. Bible says the day of the Lord is a thousand years, thousand years is a day. They thought the sun and the moon were the big deal. They didn't have a clue that that little silver dust up there were ultimately heavenly bodies that could swallow everything in our solar system. I mean, it wouldn't even be an hors d'oeuvre if they're going to swallow it. So here's a, here's a, we're getting into these stars. Well, there's the biggest one. See that little tiny marble there? Now we're moving forward here with bigger heavenly bodies. And there's quadrillions and billions and they don't even know. And they think there's probably other universes next to ours. And so we're just talking about our universe, countless stars. God made it all. He's great. How great are you? What did you make? What have you ever made? <laughs> she said toast. I was going to say a sandwich. See, a sandwich is a little more than toast. But who, who, who gave you the power to do that anyway? You said, well, I painted something. Yeah, well, God made the original. Well, I made mountains. You know, yeah, one-dimensional, just uses some colors. He actually, I mean, everything. And I always mention quantum physics, that whole bizarre world. Just to blow our minds so we wouldn't think we were that smart. We thought we got this one nailed down pretty good. Oh, yeah, and there's a quantum realm, which is a whole different physical you know, realm that plays by a totally different set of rules that you might go insane trying to figure that one out. So anyway, but we're not even, we're just getting started on the stars here. Just keep on going. Beetlejuice, that's the funnest one to say, Beetlejuice. It's spelled different than the movie, but I looked it up. I said, that couldn't be how you say it. So I looked it up online, and it did. Beetlejuice. That's how they said it online. <laughs> and then I used to be impressed by now, now Canis Majoris, that's the dog star. And, and um, I heard one guy called the big dog. And that's where this chart stopped. But, but again, where's the earth? I mean, it's, it's lost. So is the sun. The sun is lost. You can't even see the sun anymore. So are those early stars that could have swallowed us all up. They're all lost. God made it all. He's great. He's greater than we thought he was. He has more power than we thought he was. 
some people are like, well, that's why I don't believe in God, because why are we so small? Well, we had to be some size. <laughs> I mean, if we were this big, we'd say we're huge. You know, it's like, well, then if we made us huge, you'd say, well, why do you stop there? I mean, it's, an infinite God could have made things as big or as small as one. He had to put parameters around it. If he had a project or something he wanted to accomplish through us, and he did. But he's great, and he made it all. Infinite galaxies. But I thought the big dog was a good place to stop, except the big dog gets swallowed up. But this is just, okay, we get back to when I, yeah, the earth is right there. You can see my cursor. But then now we're just going to start swallowing up the biggest ones on this one. It just There are even bigger stars. And so, so yeah, we're maxed out about around that. The, the bluish one there, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's an infinite number of them, and God made them all. Are you feeling cocky today before you walk in here? Feel pretty smart? He made, he, 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 made, he made DNA. I mean, he, he created it all. He's the architect of the whole thing, big, small, everything, us. He made it all. He's great. But who cares? I mean, we fall on our face, we worship him, we're scared to death. I, why am I self-conscious? Why am I aware? My dog's not aware that there's a God. He doesn't feel responsible. Why do I feel responsible for this God? What am I going to do? I'm in big trouble. So that's the first point. He's great. That's his glory. But I just the thing that changed my life was that he's good. And he's better than you think he is. And so this God that made all this, and here's another mind blower. We're talking about Jesus. A lot of people are like, well, Jesus was a first century peasant who started a religious movement. He was an interesting moral teacher. And C.S. Lewis says he never claimed to be an interesting moral teacher or an example. He claimed to be God with skin on. Like, well, I don't believe that. Why would he be born in ancient Palestine? Where, where do you want him to be born? Why would he have been a peasant? So he wouldn't have been enamored by the stupid stuff that enamors us. And we would instead realize that God's up to something else besides human money and power and all that. But Jesus claimed to be God with skin on, which means he made all that. But what Jesus told us wasn't, he wasn't trying to drive on the fact that God is great. The thing that everybody was missing was that God is good. So I'm going to totally shift gears here in a wild and crazy.